You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. I had this uh, realization that I like to improvise. And when I first went out on tour with Testament, I was improvising the solos. And as people got to familiar with the album, you know, why don't you play the solo like on the record? And, oh, yeah. Interesting. And I, re- I realized, okay, that's, that, that's part of the deal. Welcome to another episode of 2020, where Up is Down and Left is Right and Sonic the Hedgehog is on Nintendo and Mario is on Sega Genesis. I'm Benny Goodman and welcome to my friends, my partners in crime, the people that have to deal and endure with me as I've been aptly named the Punisher, Javon Cronin. We have to remind you of all the things you're doing wrong after every episode. <laughs> That's Javon's speaking on behalf of everybody. And then we have Corey Peza who can also speak on behalf of everybody. I- I, I didn't want to dub you the Punisher, but if you're going to do that yourself, we'll take <laughs> Amy it. did. Amy did. Yeah. And this was... week we had a, we had a great we have a great great guest, and, I, and I'm saying this that it's it's not like a drug dealer where it's like it's always great. You know, like this is the greatest weed. This is the greatest. Co- I, yeah, I no, made that mistake in my first introduction. This is the greatest metal slash jazz, or should I say jazz slash metal Mass. slash photographer slash co-host, co- <laughs> not co-host. I mean, I guess he, he said he is bipolar in some ways with his music because he's jazz and metal. But Alex Skolnick of the Alex Skolnick Trio, which could mean he's like tripolar. Sure. Jazz polar. Yeah. Author uh, polar. Well, yeah, yeah. The guy does everything. He's got, a, he's got his own podcast, which is probably way more interesting than ours, but don't tell anyone. And uh, <laughs> he also, you know, we get to hear about that transition from being like in this iconic thrash metal band and then deciding, you know what, uh, I'm going to go into jazz because that's a logical left turn that you can take. Well, I'm just, I'm fascinated by people that, that want to totally change, not change directions, but take on something new in the middle of life. And I think yeah. that's so admirable. You know, people that want to either write a book or go back to school. He talks about going back to school in New York and becoming a student really for the first time as at a conservatory. Can we also, can we also go on record as saying that he doesn't have a ghostwriter. So when he says he writes a book, <laughs> he, he writes a book. Wrote a book. Yeah, he writes. And I asked him for a book. So Alex, can you please send me the book? <laughs> Alex, can you please sign my book? I'm like totally yeah, let, nerding let out Let me here. know what your Venmo is. I'll send it to you right now. It's cool. <laughs> this is Alex Skolnick part two. And if you have not already subscribed, tell him what's up, Javon. 2020-d.com go to the youtube wherever you listen to podcasts everything just go sign up like it subscribe it follow us please Welcome back to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza. I'm here, as always, with our co-hosts, Siobhan Cronin. Hi. And Benny Goodman. Shalom. And super excited to continue our discussion with the one and only Alex Skolnick of, you know, Alex Skolnick Trio, Testament, uh, Isaac Podcast, Moods and Modes, which I'm excited to check out soon. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think the biggest, biggest thing to, you know, in his career so far, he's contributed some guest solos to Lost Symphony that are, uh, you know, I think going to really give you that, you know, you're looking for that like big boost in your career. Well, Alex, Nuno now is, knows who you are. going to happen now. So yeah. like that's important. <laughs> but, but thank- I think we've, we've met. Yeah. Does he know that? <laughs> I'm just I kidding. think so. He's on his own no, planet sometimes. I, think. No, but I love Nuno. I no, love we've Nuno been, so We've much. been on a couple, uh, we've done a couple events together. We did, um, we've done a couple like NAM show things. We did a, oh, yeah. Randy Rhodes tribute together. That was that was really fun. Um, 
with Rudy Sarzo on bass, which is like a big, who's he was become a good friend. And, um, yeah, no, I'm happy to, this was, this turned, it turned out to be a, a fun thing. And yeah, you got me and Marty, you got me and Nudo, all of us together. It's well, gonna something, be something that actually, I'll tell you that there's even more of a surprise, Alex, that I don't want to yeah. like say it, it's preemptive of knowing that the Nuno Skolnick Marty collision happens. But, um, when Ollie passed away, uh, I hit up a bunch of his friends and, um, First, I, I went to Marty because he was right. super into Marty, and I, I thought if there's ever a chance, maybe he'll he'll care. And he was super nice, and we had the same PR, for, and, and Marty's been nothing but just great to me. Um, yeah, Marty's great. But I I, 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 said, I said to myself, um, I need to go to David Elfson because David a, a actually had talked about being in Lost Symphony when, when Ollie was still here, but he was just obviously busy being in Megadeth. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when Ollie passed... Marty said yes, and then like three or four days later, David calls me and said, yeah, I'll do it. And I realized the only songs that were open were the songs with Marty. And I'm like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> and um, I called my PR friend who introduced me to Marty, and I was like, um, so like, can I tell Marty that David's going to be on these songs? Like, how do I broach this? And she's just like, tell Marty. So I told Marty about Ollie. I told Marty what we were doing. I said it'd be really awesome if if you and David would play together, um, David is a huge influence of mine. And Marty writes this whole big thing about like, I don't want to be associated with any of that's going on, but my heart's not cold. And David is my brother. So we actually put Marty and David Ellison on a few tunes together on this record as well. So uh, if you oh. and Nuno and Marty playing together were not enough, <laughs> we did get uh, David and Marty to play nicey nice. On a song or two, they uh, <clears throat> I've seen them play together, even not not that long ago. Yeah, um, I well one one of the other uh, projects I'm involved with is called Metal Allegiance. It's this all star project that um, it performed by uh, a friend of mine, Mark Mengi, who also plays bass. But uh, he he and I have sort of become the overseers. Of the thing, and at least for the for the albums, and for the live shows, uh, we, we do we've done some a few tours, but we would play at um, the Nam Show every year at the House of Blues, and I think two Nam shows ago, Marty was in town, and we got Marty to play, and Ellison is part of our core uh, group. And uh, they were all all into it. Well, being, it's it's funny you say that because we totally talked cool. about that with Ellison. And do uh, you remember the first song they played together? Uh, it was no. a Metallica song, Alex. Yeah. And I okay. actually asked them, was it was it the Four Horsemen? Which is funny on so many levels because we all know the mechanics destroys the Four right. Horsemen. Of course. But but needless to say, the first song that David and Marty played together, apparently, according to, to both of them was Metallica, which just seems yeah. ironic on so many levels. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, because and in fact, now that I think about that show, I remember we did uh we yeah, we did we did a whole Metallica set. So like they did a song I mean it was like a three song set. We would Yeah. It's it's a crazy show, Metal Legion. Like we go from like yeah, there's like a block. It was not a set, a block, a block of Metallica. And they play, but then there'd be another lineup doing the next song and then the next. And I feel like Marty Friedman bending like Kirk Hammett would be really weird because I don't think he could even, I don't want to say dumb down his playing, but um, yeah. for lack of a better term, dumb down his playing to sound like Kirk Hammett enough to make it passable as Metallica. Yeah, no. He, like when no, you hear he Dream Theater play like, Metallica, it doesn't sound like Metallica at all. It sounds right, like John Petrucci yeah. playing Master of Puppets. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I've, I've played time. that stuff too. And... Yeah, I just, you know, I try to play it like, like me. Do you play it in time or do you play it in like the weird polyrhythm or whatever? Like 12, does, like, do you speed I don't know. it up? I, I don't think about it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, anyway, Alex, back to you for a moment. So on our last episode, we left off with kind of your, trans not transition, but sort of getting into jazz and you started to tell us a little bit about that. I'm actually re really curious to hear, you know, how you got that interest coming from the metal world and what it was like 
learning jazz later in life. I, I just started taking jazz lessons myself and I'm from the classical world. Oh, cool. And I think it's like, oh. the it, it's so cool. And it's like the ultimate challenge of like every part of my brain. Coming from a different genre where it's, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's similarities across all types of music, but um, I'm just interested to hear your experience and how that sort of happened and how you kind of carved out also a career in jazz at the same time. Yeah, well, um, there's a number of factors to it. But um, I think part of it, I had this uh, <clears throat> realization that I like to improvise. And when I first went out on tour with Testament, I was improvising the solos. And as people got to familiar with the album, you know, why don't you play the solo like on the record? And, oh, yeah. Interesting. And I re realized, okay, that's that. That's part of the deal. They, they want so none those. of the early Testament stuff was composed. That was just like a take that you, that you thought that was the good one. And every take could have been different. Pretty much. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I wow. might've, yeah, I might've had some themes or some parts, but yeah, I would, I would always, I would, I wouldn't. Play it wasn't it Randy Rhodes. I'm tripling this shit because I know every single note. It was like, no. I'm going to go in and this is how I feel. And that was the take and boom, you're out. Well, I, I would do a bunch of ideas. And sort of settle on on the best one. But once I play it live, I might say, "Okay, I want to play it as though I'm, you know, I'm still developing as a player." So anyway, so I I, I realized I liked improvising. I would do occasional um, jam sessions when I wasn't on the road. I started sitting in with bands, and I got tired of playing the same songs. Right? It was always I realized I didn't. Mm -hmm. I was very, I felt very limited. I'm like, okay, I know um, Sunshine of Your Love, Freeway Jam, um, Voodoo Child. I mean, these are all great songs, but I, I God, I really want to improvise more. And then all, this, that was just one thing. And then I, right around the same time, I saw a, a Miles Davis concert on television and he was playing with one of his electric bands. I don't remember who exactly was in in the band, but around this time period, he had at different times uh, John Schofield on guitar, Robin Ford on guitar, Mike Stern, uh, Marcus Miller on bass. Just and it just hit, hit me as just like high energy, funky, bluesy music. It wasn't like oh, I'm going to learn jazz. I just totally dug this music. Um. I was already into Al Dumiola and some of the musicians on Al Dumiola records included Chick Corea, Jaco Pastoria. Yeah. So I, I like, I was discovering all this music and Can I um, stop you at Al Dumiola. I want to ask about him in particular because he's a dude that I feel like transcends so many people. So like, you know, we had Rusty Cooley on our record, um, you know, who's a speed demon and crazy right. player. But then you hear all these other, uh, you know, from all walks of life, but everyone respects mm -hmm. Al Dimiola. Why? Yeah, well, he's a, he's a really good example of like a link between jazz. You know, he's more, he's a different type of player. I think he's more influenced by like international music. You know, you can hear sort of um, the flamenco, like flamenco kind of, type yeah. phrasing, even though he... Even when he plays electric. He totally listens to Steve Stevens. I know that's what it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> no, Paco de Lucia. I mean, who he has this and great... And Segovia. Um, so, yeah. So, Al Demiola, he's like a link between all that stuff. So, I was already into him. And my, through Miles, I discover all, all these other guitar players. Uh, I start going to hear John Schofield live when he plays. And... Um, yeah, I just realized, okay, I'm not done learning yet <laughs> at this point. Um, and I started studying with players who told me that, you know, th these people you're listening to, they all know how to play jazz, even if what you're hearing may not sound like jazz. It's like a, it's built off of jazz, mm -hmm. but you have to know how to play jazz to, to play it. So out of necessity, I started learning traditional jazz I'm like okay i have to learn um charlie christian right who played with somebody named benny goodman 
I thought he had. <laughs> I thought it was just a pickup. <laughs> Airmail special. Like I, I learned Charlie Christian stuff. Uh, your your stuff. Sing, sing, sing <laughs> for me, Alex. Yeah. yeah. And were you taking lessons, or was this mostly like self-taught exploration? I I, t- like I, t- I took some lessons. Okay. I asked around. I found some 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 teachers. Um. And um, I developed, I started to get it. I was just like, you know, this, it's actually really fun to play music that's completely different than what I play and not play through a wall of amps. You know, it's nice to just <laughs> right. play but through. That's why like, I listen to Frank Zappa. How about uh, someone like that? You say jazz, but what do you think of someone like Frank Zappa? There's well, a that's great completely, doc- completely different. I'm, I'm a huge Zappo, Zappa file. <clears throat> I'm influenced by him. Both for in the terms of being outspoken and just um, taking chances, I, I, I'm certainly not. I don't directly sound like him, but yeah, he's he's a huge influence. He's also got his own style, and I never really. It wasn't like a guitar style that I directly connected to. So, like as far as um, like jazz, rock, uh, gu- guitarists, you know. Um, Certainly, uh, Pat Metheny was one. Sco- I, I keep mentioning Schofield, right? He's a, he's a great example. But um, there's a, a guitarist named Jimmy Herring, who's kind of well-known in the jam band world, who's currently in widespread panic. But he was in a band called the Aquarium Rescue Unit, which is like one of my favorite bands of all time. Like, that's an incredible band. And actually, influenced by Zappa, but... The, the players in there are insane. O'Teal from the Allman Brothers was in that band originally. Um, so I, I discovered them around the same time. But I also, li- you know, like I said, I, was, I liked not o- being limited to just playing a loud guitar through a wall of amps. You know, taking like one of these guitars, like the L5, and plugging it into a small amp and playing along with a trumpet. Or, you know, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a concept you know yeah. there's, there's just so much more to music than just this this one uh, side of things and it was kind of crazy this all happened at right before testament went into do our third record so the third album was called practice what you preach and it was recorded it was our first album that we did on the west coast and the studio was a very well-known studio called Fantasy Studios that also had a record label that was in the same building, Fantasy Records. And this record company was buying out all these defunct jazz labels, right? Because at this time, this is like the end of the 80s, um, CDs are the new thing, right? Hmm. Vinyl is being phased out. Old record companies are going out of business. So... Fantasy Records is remastering all this uh, jazz for CD. So while I'm in the studio recording this Testament album, I'm hearing all this jazz being remastered. Mm. And it was magical. Like there was one session I heard and they were remastering um, John Coltrane Mm. and it sounded like he was in the room. They had it set up. So it sounded like a recording session. And I knew the name John Coltrane, but I had just never been like clobbered over the head with his music. And hearing it like that, it was the first time that I felt anything like when I first heard um, Van Halen very loud doing Eruption. It was like that kind of thing, like, whoa. You know, it was uh, intense, it was spiritual, it was virtuosic, it was technical. It was going so many places. And I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this, and uh, I can't see behind the door. And I, I like, peeked in, I'm just, I, I gotta know, who is that? Who, you know? And the, like, oh, he's, he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> he's, <laughs> that's John Coltrane. Anyway, so that, that was like, magical. And that was just one of many albums that they were remastering. And because I was a client of the studio, they, they offered to give me promo CDs of like, anything I want. Oh, wow. Nice. They gave me a list. Yeah, we're mastering all this. Everything is going to have you know, like hundreds of promo copies for radio and 
jazz uh, press will gladly just make a list. Some of these might cost a buck, if you know, but most of them are for free. So I, I ended up with like hundreds of albums. So that was my my jazz. So it all at this point, I'm I'm starting to think. Okay, you know what? I there's a purpose to this. There's like this makes sense. I don't know why. You know, I I didn't get that music when I was younger, but I'm getting it now. And every time I go, I go and hear a great concert. I, and I I went to hear McCoy Tyner. I went. <clears throat> I was I saw Herbie Hancock. So I'm like going to these concerts, and I'm just getting completely knocked out. Herbie Hancock, just, rest in peace. I can't even believe I'm yeah. saying that. My brain just went like. Well, it, it's. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, it was all music. And you mentioned Zappa before. That what a great example of somebody that, you know, sort of brought together all these different types of music. And well, I thought, why? Can, uh, wait, can we why pause that for I, one moment? Because neither Herbie, of these two have. Herbie Hancock's still alive. I think he's oh, dead, yeah. isn't he? Uh, I well. Herbie Hancock. Did I? Is it one of those Snopes? I thought he had passed. <laughs> just want to make sure that. we don't freak Hold anyone on. out that's no, listening Chick or watching. Yeah. Chick Corea just passed right, away. Right, Chick Corea did, yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. No, but I, I think I may have Herbie seen Herbie Hancock a, a just snob. gave a big. Well, no, but trip. when they do that, here's the thing with memeology: when people do Facebook or whatever, they'll say people are dead yeah, or ben that they just died from, from Facebook, five years. So. Right, right. Ago. That doesn't make it any. Time. No, so I probably saw it and then just internalized. Oh, poor Herbie Hancock, and then meanwhile he's still alive. I just believe. Well, it. That's so typical of today. Cancel uh, culture. I'm totally I, the problem. I saw Peter Gabriel. <laughs> Herbie, I'm sorry. Peter Gabriel was trending last month, and I got all scared. I'm like, oh, oh my yeah. God. He's, yeah. Right. Oh, my he's, gosh. Because he's over 70. Every time somebody over 70 is trending, it, I fear the worst. It was his birthday. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> How about when Robert said, Fripp started trending? What did you think about that? I mean, as a guy that certainly knows Fripptronics, did you, is that, he's responding well to COVID, it seems. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I um, I have so much respect for him. I just saw King Crimson for the first time, uh, right? One of the last big concerts I went to before everything shut down. And I went on tour. King Crimson played at Radio City Music Hall in New York. And it was amazing. And incredible. What a, what a great artist. I don't really get, like, I, I get that he's he's having fun. It's just, it's a little odd. I kind of think it's like, these videos him and his wife are doing. Can we explain what they are? So for people who haven't seen them, sure. you can go on YouTube. They may probably show up on your Google because of Alexa. But Robert Fripp, who's the guitar player from, um, from King Crimson, has a wife with big boobs. And she wears shirts that are very sheer. And then they do very strange covers of songs that you know. And they're odd. Very, <laughs> they're very odd. odd. And, and they're very deadpan about it, too. Like it's, like it's obviously, probably how it happens. And she's dancing and they do like Metallica. <laughs> they own and, it. Yeah. Sabbath. I, I understand. It's like they're having fun, but <laughs> I kind of think it's the type of fun. Like send it to your friends. Yeah. Send it to. They got millions your, of views and more people probably know, know now who Robert Fripp. It, we're yeah, talking about Robert maybe. Fripp. Who's talking about King Crimson? I love King Crimson because I'm yeah. a nerd, but like most people aren't like I King Crimson. Yeah. Robert Frick, big boobs. That, that, that could be. That could be. <laughs> that was but the anyway. ultimate derailment of the conversation. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, no, I apologize. Okay. Nice. To Robert Frick, okay. too, and his wife with big boobs. Yeah. King Crimson. I mean, I got a lot of this music I hadn't been into when I was younger because I, when I started um, my professional career at 18, it was all about, you know, Scorpions, Ozzy. Then, like just really that side of things and over the next few years yeah i just really just opened up to a lot a lot of this music but when it came to you know like the straight ahead jazz at first it was sort of out of necessity so i could better understand the kind of high energy electric jazz that i like but then you know that experience hearing coltrane being remastered and being gifted this whole collection of jazz albums by fantasy records like that just <laughs> opened up the, this this whole side and then i i i really um kind of went down this this path that's and since then um well it, it kind of it led me to moving to new york it's one of the reasons i'm here now 
I got a music degree from the new school. I realized I always awesome. felt like, yeah, I wanted to be able to study music at the university level, be able to relate to the type of musicians that I was listening to. And that was hard. It was really <clears throat> like starting over. You know how it is because you're learning jazz, you know, kind of. Sure. Well, and just going to university or like any conservatory style school. It, yeah, you're suddenly thrown into a pool of people that are from everywhere with all different backgrounds at a super high level. So I can imagine, especially coming from a different world, you know, where you've already had somewhat of a career and then you're, you're starting something new. It was really like starting over, but it also, it felt right for some reason. And there's just, there's so much that I wouldn't have been able to do had I not done that, you know, but some of my own music with the trio and, um, making charts yeah, I, I didn't know yeah. how to do any of that. Um, yeah. Musical situations where I've worked with piano players and uh, horn players, you know, because I, I just, you know, I did, that wasn't a part of playing heavy, heavy rock. And that's fine. Some people just don't have an interest in that. But I just, I wanted to experience um, more of, of music. And it made a lot of sense. And sure. eventually, I, you know, I, testament the original testament reunited and um like the after like 2006 or so and then this whole new later period came around we've done three records in um you know in in the 2000s the most recent one was last year uh called um titans of creation and we were supposed to be touring for that right now that <laughs> the touring got derailed by by covid <laughs> yeah you got 2020 but um the point being at some point I, I i wanted to go back to it i was doing you know just um more there was a time period i was doing just mostly jazz like 90 percent jazz and then um i started playing with uh the trans-siberian orchestra which you've heard of <laughs> which you have experience with and yeah. um in the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Yeah, we, we must have overlapped. I, I did want to ask you about that. Yeah, like, I was going to say, like did how... you guys play together ever? I, I don't know if we did. I, You know, I played in the string section, so I would do kind of regional shows, and it d- differed every year. But, um, you know, again, also, I was on a way lower level of involvement than, like, the core band members. Right. So what, I was actually um, curious. area? What region? I, I did mostly the East, but I didn't always go as far as new york it would be like um a lot of the midwest shows down through tennessee i was almost always with the east coast band oh okay yeah i mean i was always with the east coast band from 2000 to 2009 ah that's why i think i my first shows were probably in like 2010 or 11 oh okay so that okay that makes sense we just yeah we just missed yeah we just okay that would have been really funny if you played like a hundred shows together and you guys didn't no, there, even know. No, I, I definitely would have known, but I, I like I knew I knew that this this so wait, exi- what's you the, know who's the name of the guitar player in the the Trans Siberian Orchestra lineup that you were in then, Javon? Uh, so I played with Chris Caffrey, uh, Joel Hoekstra Joel was Hoekstra, in it. Right, Joel came um, in right after I did. Okay, okay. Yeah, he was so then that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So almost all the shows I played were with Joel, unless it was the other one, um, which had um. That was Al uh, and Angus. Al Petrelli. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, so I I started that in um, the early part of the 2000s, and that was sort of me getting back into the rock side of things. Even though it was like this total theatrical production, especially sure. back then because it wasn't an arena show yet; it was theater. That's interesting. Okay, can you yeah? Can, let's talk more about it because yeah. I was always curious about the earlier stages. Because of course, you know, the string players like when I came in, it was always right. arenas. You know, so it already developed to such a huge level by the time I first started doing it. Yeah, I mean, it, the lineups were similar. It, there would be the same type of string section, um, pickup string section, depending on mm-hmm. the region we were in. Right. But instead of an arena, it would be a small theater like in new york mm-hmm. it was the beacon in um okay cleveland wherever all the broadway shows sure. are in cleveland the theater district i forget the name of the theater but you know every every town has a little theater district pittsburgh mm-hmm. philadelphia so we would play those places as it a few years in it started to get more popular and we would be there for several days 
and just okay. and then finally they decided i think it was like oh four or oh five we're just gonna book this into arenas and see what happens and then, then it sort of blew up yeah well <laughs> yeah um but that got me that kind of got me back playing like loud rock stuff and then um the band Lamb of God invited me to play a guest solo on their album and they became good friends. And, um, yeah, sort of, I sort of found my way back to metal through those, those things, but having, I decided, you so know, can we I say thank a, you Lamb of God for bringing yeah. Alex Skolnick <laughs> back to metal. Like, can I let Mark Morton know? Like, thanks yeah. dude for he, like, oh, bringing that dude back. He knows we, we've done a lot of shows together since then. Um, and I, th I think it, it would have happened, but they, they really helped, helped it happen. And there are good a few catalysts. other things too, but, and I, yeah. And then also Testament just deciding to get back together. They were kind of done. It did. They'd sort of, um, yeah, they'd kind of had a hard time in the nineties, the, the whole, um, alternative music called modern rock era. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And then by the mid two thousands, yeah, they they decided to just when we got back together, it was going to be just like a. F I was almost going to be like a farewell tour. We just decided we'll just do a few shows. It'll be we'll kind of retire the band. And at that point, I decided I want to I want to you know I'll have my metal side, but I'll keep doing my instrumental stuff as well. But then you know as Testament played. More and more, like offers kept coming in, and uh, by I think like two years into the reunion period, just when we thought we would be <laughs> wrapping it up, we got this offer to tour with um, Heaven and Hell, which was Black Sabbath, yep. fronted by the, the late great. It goes on Dio. and on. Yeah, yep. it's Heaven Judas and Priest. Hell. Yeah, the um, Masters of Metal tour. It was called Heaven and Hell, Judas Priest. Motorhead and Testament. Well, dude, that's the wait. When did that happen? Because I feel like I've seen <laughs> Heaven and Hell every single. I went to Canada that was to see them. 2008. Wow. And of course, to do a tour like that, well, you need a product. Okay. Well, I guess we have to go in the studio and do a record. So, <laughs> so thank you, Dio. Yeah, that that kind of that started the whole um, <clears throat> resurrection phase of Testament. And since so it's then, like I've a rainbow in the had dark this... for Testament. Yes. And uh, since then, it's been this interesting balancing act. Um, I reconnected with Stu Ham, the bass player. We're currently working on it. Somehow, we never did a record together, but we actually started one last year. And uh, we're going back in the studio in a few months. And I think we're finally going to have our, our album. Um, What's that going to sound like, Alex? Like you and Stu... So like that, that seems like there's a lot of like alpha crazy jazz going. Oh, it's, it's amazing. We're, we, we connect much, um, deeper than, than we did. Cause when I played with him back then, you know, I'd never done an instrumental tour before. Um, I was totally an ear player. I didn't know how to work with charts. I knew basic theory from Satriani, but I didn't. Thanks Joe. Yeah. But I, I didn't know, you know, it wasn't like now and i didn't have like a whole catalog of instrumental compositions yeah. of my own to to play and now you know it's like you know i i can bring in my own material i can write and i know how to do that i can compose material i can write charts for everybody i you know um so yeah it's a whole other level in the you, same realm what about going back with testament with all this you know, years of experience and knowledge. What right, was that? Yeah. How was that going, you know, back to something that you, you're very familiar with from your past, but, but with, but with this new perspective of music and, uh, and theory and everything. That, uh, that took, <clears throat> that took a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, not as much though. It was nothing like, like the process of learning jazz that involved sort of stepping away and kind of basically like going on a, 10 year retreat yeah <laughs> uh, yeah that's what it feels like <laughs> that's really are you sure it's not like an ayahuasca trip where you go like you're puking and shitting and seeing god and then coming back and you're like metal thank god it's maiden yeah no no so um that metal learning 
jazz guitar was like starting over and then coming back to metal again it was like at first yeah it, it was like okay f- remembering how to ride a bicycle yeah <laughs> but then and then i also had i just had so many more um oper- more i had so much more knowledge right and it was very strange and i had to control it it was almost like yeah, like I so, feel like it would infiltrate like some of the, the jazz harmony, like even even yeah, the, what little training I have in jazz, it's like hard to unhear. So like you go you, you go from being a harmonic minor in a box to like there's non diatonic notes going on, and you're like, but it's fine, they're just passing notes. Yeah, I I've since found a balance. <laughs> like I found a way to sneak it in, <laughs> but at first I was experimenting, and I I tried some solos that just. They, they, it was too much. There's like, uh, you know, I was, I, I knew I, I would listen back. And I realized I'm overdoing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, I think that's, it's part now it's part of what kind of gives me some, um, give me my, my own quality. I think if I can say I have my own style, I know it's, you know, there's overlap with, there's always going to be overlap, but I feel like in, a lot of um with a lot of guitar solos and rock and metal there's a lot of cut and paste parts like you could say oh this pentatonic lick uh would you know i I could take this and you know place it in another band song and it would that it would (laughs) it wouldn't be that different we've done uh you know 50 some odd episodes of this podcast and we've spoken with some amazing musicians and at the top of their game and that that's a theme that has come up over and over again is that they just say learn every kind of music in every kind of genre and just get as much experience and exposure as you can because that's the only way you can be you and develop your own sound because if you only listen to one style of music you're just gonna be regurgitating that over and over again and it's no it's not you you know what makes you you is all those different experiences like for example we alex we were speaking to shannon larkin from godsmack and the godsmackers you know are obviously a big (laughs) they're they're a boston band and i call them the godsmackers i'm sure sully erna i was gonna say say that to sully's face i'd like yeah yeah yeah, well i i wouldn't i'm taller than him um but you're not (laughs) yeah I'm, i'm not that much taller than him or his manager who's one of my best friends uh, but he was saying uh, they're all blues guys. Tony, the guitar player for Godsmack, and Shannon are both diehard blues players. And even though Tony's an unbelievable metal guitar player that holds down the the fort, uh, he himself uh, takes himself more seriously as a blues player. And you know, Shannon and uh, they they have the apocalypse uh, revival blues revival. Uh, blues revival excuse blues me, revival, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm high, Shannon. I'm sorry. Uh, but that's what, but that's what he goes back. And when they go back to the Godsmack mode and have four number one hits, by the way, um, you know, they are coming back having played blues, immersing themselves in blues, and not even being known by anybody in blues. But then going back and playing arenas as faceless musicians behind Sully Erna playing metal, and it's a different right. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's great that they do that. You know, they, um. I uh, I think musicians should spread their wings. Paul Stanley is doing Soul Station right now, which is sort of this Motown theme. Is it awesome or is it awesomely bad? I haven't seen. I think it's getting good, decent reviews. Um, and either way, he seems either. really happy to do it. He seems very passionate about it, and I I, th- I think that's great. I mean, when I started branching out, first you know playing with Stu and then um you know just really going off on this jazz tangent I, yeah people thought I was crazy <laughs> and then once um the internet came along and comment sections I mean I I was uh, you know just a target of vitriol yeah like wow. what, like what did I do to these people well, and like jazz I've, is such like a an elevated I mean I consider it like we talk about this that it it is kind of like the ultimate like level it you is know? so i can't also, believe it it's the metal fans. it's the same metal like fans it. you know that that don't want to listen to anything that you know the guy wearing lipstick or makeup you know and the and the bond yeah, like anything that's very, different metal yeah. fans are very dedicated to that and if you stray away i, I can see 
I can totally see that reaction of like, wait, you're 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 not Look, being faithful to uh, the genre. Today is the 35th anniversary of Master of Puppets, the last metal okay. ab- album that mattered. So fuck all of you, okay? That's <laughs> yeah. the only thing that matters. That's what metal sounds like, and that's what your album should yeah. sound like forever. And if you make anything right. that doesn't sound like it, well, you're not Cliff Burton. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was every case. Metallica record since then doesn't quite sound like that. Not, not, I know. That's quite. why we're always let down, Alex. <laughs> Tell them that. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, no, that's uh I think it's it's changed. Luckily Yeah that's calmed down a bit. But yeah, the for a while, yeah, you would think I like went and joined Poison or Yeah. Yeah, the Ricky Rocket review with uh You and Poison. That was two poison people in a row. They're actually well, yeah, nice people, they're, you know, they're real people. CC's <laughs> <laughs> actually gotten good. That's the funny band. part. It's a perfect, I, yeah, with respect to them, it's a perfect band to contrast with. <laughs> yeah, right. No, they were terrible, but I gotta say that if you go see band. CC now, hey. well, you, you can't see him, but I had seen him like a, a I was few never years a ago, fan, and but... he was good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know what, you got, for that type of music, uh, you know, obviously they wrote a hit, they wrote a lot of songs that a lot of people like. Yeah. Um, it's just not, it's just not for, that. Yeah. that is he one He was a genre. celebrity apprentice, Alex. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, that's one genre I never really related to. Was sort of the um, the kind of sing along, feel good, ultra commercial mm-hmm. stuff. Like, so you don't like, like Kiss? That. Well, the the seventies Kiss, the eighties eighties Kiss, as so, so is to- totally different. But I want to ro- rock and roll all night and party every day. Seems like I can sing along to it, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was the seven. That that still that so it was okay happened. in the seventies, but yeah. by the eighties, it yeah. was tired. Is what you're saying? Look at them in the eighties. <laughs> Rather, well, not. they took off their makeup, <laughs> and it was right, bad. Exactly. And then they put on them. a different type of makeup. <laughs> well, without getting yeah. too far away from music, I, I wanted to ask about your book and writing, yeah. and you know, I before we run out of time, of course. At what point did yeah. you decide to write a book? I'm always interested in people that take up writing yeah. because. It seems like such a daunting task to write, especially sort of a memoir. And, you know, how did you decide to do that? And where did you get the skill to write? How did you learn? I'm it's just fascinating that you did this. Oh, thanks. Uh, Well, I started around the same time I got into uh, jazz that whole that same year that we did that Third Testament record and I was discovering all this new music. I got oh, I got asked to write a column for um, a guitar magazine. Uh, two guitar magazines. Actually. They kind of reached out like right at the same time. And it was, it was incredible. Um, guitar for the Practicing Musician, which isn't around anymore. Um, and Guitar World. And I ended up writing for both of them at different times. So I would do monthly instruction columns. And then that was the first time like I really had to put thought and energy into my words because it's going to be read. It's going to be on newsstands, <laughs> right? That it's just like, um, you know, it's like going on tour and having, having the incentive of a show, like you have to get it together. So, right. um, around that same time I was, I was re- reading a lot and, um, I just remember my uh, the the manager of Testament at that time. Um, he'd been sort of a a sixth. He played Woodstock with the band Shanana, which is like the fifties cover band. Okay. But he had been this, yeah, part of the whole um, kind of sick, late sixties. Um, yeah, fans of like the beat writers and stuff like that. And he had just passed on all these books like. Kerouac and um, you know the, uh, the <clears throat> um, Tom Wolf. Um, so I you know I started re- reading their their books and then eventually uh, people like uh, Kurt Vonnegut and uh, nice. John Updike um, later Ruki Murakami you know so I, that became as you know t- especially with all the travel. Um, that was just a great way when you couldn't work on music, that was a great way to, um, stay engaged and 
So I always, I developed a, you know, a taste in, in good writing. And I always thought, well, you know, the, there's so much, so many interesting things to write about that I'm experiencing going from sort of being a kid at school that can barely talk to anybody to, you know, being on a heavy metal tour at age 18 and, um, going from being kind of known for, you know, for this heavy, you know, thrash metal music, but developing an interest in jazz and just, you know, just that whole process of developing and, and growing. Um, at one point, um, I started doing a blog and, um, the blog sort of helped, I, I the blog helped, uh, write the book in a way because mm -hmm. every blog sort of be, became either a chapter or a section of the, of the book, Mo most of the blog. And then I would, I would expand on the blog and, yeah, and I just, I just thought, yeah, it was just something, um. It was something I always w wanted to do. I, I'd been thinking about it way before uh, it was common to do. And this is a, it's a, it's a, uh, something I've learned over the years is to try to, when I'm inspired to do something, try to do it sooner because sure. this always like happens. Podcast. Every, <laughs> podcast, <laughs> perfect example. <laughs> I was thinking about doing this podcast in the 2000s. <laughs> When it yeah, was a very was new thing. Our podcast or your podcast? Because that would have been really Nostradamus-like of you. Both. <laughs> but yeah, and now it's just, you know, there you know, there are SNL sketches about people having podcasts. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and it was the same thing, like, with, with the book. I wanted, I'd been thinking about it for years. By the time I finally do it, like, you know, musician book is not that new a thing, but I did feel like I would be able to do it in a way that was a little different. You know, it's not, you know, cause I, cause I had read and I do, I do know what I like to read and I just tried to write it in a way that, okay, I think I, I would like to read. this. So let me ask yeah. you this. I'm going to throw some Kurt Vonnegut back at you. So he uh, used to say that we are what we pretend to be. So we have to be careful what we pretend to be. Who are right. you pretending to be, Alex? <laughs> that's yeah, that's a tough question. Well, I'm, I'm not anymore, but I think uh, at first, yeah, there was a sense, you know, being just thrown into being like thrash metal guy. Mm. You know, yeah, I'm thrash metal guy, and that's going to be my life, and I'm going to just totally be defined by that for the rest mm -hmm. of my life. That, that was. A, yeah, and it, well, yeah, you get an identity really fast when you're identi you know, when you're put in a band and you're suddenly on the scene. Of course, yeah, right, yeah. And I, I, I just I, somehow I was never aware of terms like being boxed in or pigeonholed. Or, yeah. Like mm -hmm. it just never occurred to me. I, I, I never understood why actors talk about that. Like why they don't want to be typecast as a certain thing. And then sure. at a certain point. And then, but then when I emerged as a musician, okay, I'm known for this very specific thing, which, you know, I'm, I'm good at and I like, but I realized I was also being defined by other, the other people who, who do that music that I really have, mm -hmm. you know, not all of them I, I have things in common with, you know, I don't have the same background. I don't, I have other interests. I don't just listen to that kind of music or, um, so yeah. So sort of breaking out of, of that and just being not, you know, not being afraid to grow and be somebody different, even though the audience for that music, at least at the time was just very purist in a way, which is one of the few things it does have in common with jazz because I, uh, jazz sure. has a, a, um, base of purists that so fact, so did you get any sort of uh response from the jazz community as you went back towards the metal realm you know i mean the the jazz community is it's sort of like the rock community you know, i mean there, there's just so many sub groups mm -hmm. that have nothing mm -hmm. in common with each other but um i to me i th i thought yeah i i got a lot of support actually like mm -hmm. some of the teachers i studied with were these like legendary artists and they they were just like thrilled that I'd actually had experience in the store and, and wanted to learn 
what they were doing. They were very encouraging and um, very cool about it. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm sure I, I probably, you know, I'm sure I got some talking about behind my back. Like, what the hell is he doing here? You know? (laughs) Um, But I knew that. I knew I needed to learn. And I knew I had to, you know, I knew why I was there. I had no illusions. I didn't think, okay, you know, I'm going, you know, here I am. I'm I'm just going to be this um, master jazz musician. No, I was there to learn. Right. And uh, over the time, I, you know, I I think uh, I built up, oh, you know, I I got, by the time I did my first recording, like I I was shocked because I thought it's going to take like several albums. It's probably going to take another 10 years. But I did my first recording with my trio. And um, Billboard <laughs> did a feature on it. Um, Downbeat did a feature on it. Jazz is like all these magazines I never imagined being in, and it was incredible. You think it's because you have awesome hair? <laughs> <laughs> Probably doesn't hurt. <laughs> Actually, no, I didn't amazing. at the time when I did the first jazz stuff. I had very very short. I I was like it, totally in kind of. I was finding my. Your jazz, jazz persona. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe we can get a little bit into your podcast and, and the uh-huh. topics that you tackle and, and how big of a part of, of what you're doing now is that podcast in comparison to the music. It's a pretty big part. I mean, yeah. I, I could see doing this for a long time. Yeah. Um, my original idea was to do... Um, piano jazz on NPR, but for guitar, right? And that piano jazz was the longest running show on NPR. Marion McPartland, she would get together with another musician, usually a piano player, and they would talk about music and they would jam. So I started this with with that in mind. And I did a few episodes with um, friends of mine, uh, Deer Felder, who's a great player of uh, Prasanna, who's a great player from India. And he's, he sounds like a sitar or a Vena player, but on guitar. And I got these, this great content of us talking about music and just jamming. And then everything shut down <laughs> and I had to find some, some extra angles. So I have done, in addition to these jam episodes, I've done like tributes to artists that we've lost. And sadly, there's been so many, you know, I did a tribute yeah. to Peter Green, um, and Eddie Van Halen, who was such a big in- impact on me that I feel like we should do one for Herbie Hancock uh, right now in, in anticipation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh my gosh, Ben, don't jinx it. <laughs> yeah, please. Sorry. Oh my God. And, please um, no. Well, there was another one. So, um, I was talking about Stu Ham. I went to, uh, record with Stu Ham we recorded at um, Sweetwater, you know, the yeah. music retail giant in Indiana that they have a recording studio and they had each of us do master classes. So I ended up recording that whole trip and just got a tour of Sweetwater, got the whole story, told the story of Sweetwater. Um, so that was, yeah, that was fun. That was like, you know, a travel episode. Can you tell them to and, stop calling me about the pics I bought like and yeah, six months ago? What's up with the candy? I want to know why I have to get candy. Like, Listen look, to my episode. You'll find it. You'll right, find it. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a variety. And um, I, I was also, I was, may he rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain. Oh my um, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before he was on TV, I was reading him. Now he was another big influence as far as like writing a book, like his book about well, how depressing is it that he that he commits suicide? And like I used to say all the time, if I could be any person in in the world and do any job, it would be Anthony Bourdain. Is it go to somebody's country, be ingratiated by the greatest yeah. people, the greatest places, eat the greatest food, be yeah. like suave, smoke your cigarette, drink whatever the resonant alcohol yeah. is, and then leave a dignitary? And like, and then he's dead. What yeah. is up with that, dude? Yeah, we're uh, we're gonna be wondering that a long time. Because I think a lot of people thought the exact same thing. But anyway, when he got on TV, like his shows were so great. The best. So I, I mean, I'm definitely inspired by his shows. I've had, I've even 
seen people leave reviews for my podcast saying this is kind of like an Anthony Bourdain centered around guitar. Well, that's a like great selling point. Anybody that can made do. me way more interested. I just talked yeah. to you for two hours, and I now want to go see because I love Anthony Bourdain. I mean, I yeah. like Testament a lot, but Anthony Bourdain is like my fucking spirit animal, dude. So, like, there if you you're go. like Anthony Bourdain for guitar, yeah. I mean, besides the fact you got a three four seven back there, like everyone's right. taking. If you are not watching on your television, your computer, or on your phone, take a look at Alex Skolnick's guitar collection. It's pretty yeah. awesome. And I also want to say thank you so much for playing on Lost Symphony with us, who is our sponsor. I guess the last thing I will ask you is we are in an instrumental band. We've had to pivot yeah. this last year, uh, 2020. Literally, we say we got 2020 into doing this. Right. Um, for Ollie, uh, I, I, we asked you, would you play on this? I guess I'm sort of curious. What did you think when you got to hear what people are going to hear is chapter three? Not knowing anything about this, because it is very, very, very different. Yeah, yeah. No, I I thought it was very um yeah, it is it is very different, but it's got a, it's got a kind of a soundtrack quality at times. And then other times it's got you know the sort of rock quality, like majestic rock quality. And um it's fun. Yeah, very different than the stuff I do, very di um different than anybody would expect. And like the super shred guitar stuff works with it, but it's not dependent on it. There's parts where, you know, it gets quiet and there's, you know, just lovely violin and piano. That's Siobhan, Siobhan. Yeah. yeah. They say we sound like Trans-Siberian Orchestra yeah. and it's like, well, I guess it makes kind of sense. <laughs> no, I think of... it's, it's different. It's different. It's, it's, uh, there's something or organic about it. And, um, yeah, I like that. It, it's dynamic. It goes to these different places. But well, we really appreciate having you on and, and you coming on our, our, our record. And certainly thank yeah. you, uh, you know, from our friend Ollie, who who listened to you night and day and stayed up all night with Angel Vivaldi talking about their favorite solos on your so cool. Testament records. Well, listen, man, those guys are, are now influencing a whole other generation. You know, obviously, Angel Vivaldi uh, is the first. Um, openly, uh, you know, gay shredder, I guess. I, I don't know what, it, but he's amazing and he's, you know, he's leading the way with Charvel. And then you, you know, Ollie, oh, I don't feel like he got the due that he deserves because of kind of the ambiguity around um, his passing, but he was a composer. And as Frank Zappa said, if you want to be a composer in America, you might as well get your real estate license, which ironically, his wife has a real estate license. Mm. Uh, but it, it's it's so amazing to be able to have people of your level be able to play uh, for Ollie because Ollie was such he was writing a book of scales when mm. he passed. He had a bust of oh. like literally Bach with cross swords. It is like he was the real fucking deal, wow. man. That's you know awesome. what I mean? So like I, I don't know I don't know if there's scales that aren't written that he should. I don't know if he's writing redundancies, <laughs> but. The point is, is that the fact that you guys all came out and the fact that that was your response, I know wherever he is, he's going good. Yeah, it's going to it's going to turn some heads. I, I'm excited for this to come out. As are oh, we. That's awesome. And uh, yeah. thanks for having me. that said, Alex, thank you so much. It's been an absolute blast. Um, guys, check out his book. Check out the podcast uh, Moods and Modes, which I know I'm going to do probably I'm excited to check it this. out. I'm going to finish this Actually, book. Buy the I'm book. Gonna, I'm going to hijack yeah, it right now. So listen, can I ask you a favor? I want the book, but can I buy it from you? Because Siobhan makes fun of me because I collect first edition signed books by all the artists. And then she says I don't read them. But because I you don't. Read, <laughs> but I want to read your book. So can I okay. buy it from you personally so you can write like, fuck you, Ben, read this? And sure. I actually will read it so I can talk to Siobhan and we can have a book club. Sure. sure. That <laughs> means Email a lot him. to me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks, Siobhan. Alex, and we'll, you've been 2020. we'll throw up links to all your stuff. And I've... go check to Alex, alexskolnick.com, Alex Skolnick. His podcast, his book, Testament, the Alex Skolnick Trio, his 7,000 side projects, <laughs> the, the writer, the man, whatever the he pretends to be. The musician, <laughs> the He's composer. become that. You guys, the, the music is so like dramatic and intense. I think people have no idea 
like you, this side of you, this just wacky Tommy. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure our label's like good. <laughs> yeah, there's a like four personalities, so yeah, depends on what time know, of day. I know how it is. <laughs> well, thank you so much, thank Alex. So much. We really, really appreciate it. All right, you guys, Please stay in My touch pleasure. and stay safe. Really man. appreciate it. Thank we you so much. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 59, featuring Paul Haber, TV producer and investigative journalist. Check it out. You know, we took a helicopter and did some aerial shots, and things didn't go as planned. Things uh, went wrong, and we crashed. And... I survived. Oh my god! What was, I, but what uh, was that? What was that like? Like, can you tell us? Like, how did you know things were fucking wrong? You know what? That's something that your brain just like pops out. Like it just. Bl- it's, I remember up until the f- time where you know something's gonna go wrong, and then your brain just shuts down until the next thing I remember is I'm on the ground in the weirdest position in like a tremendous amount of pain and i remember being pulled out by firefighters and then i woke up the next in probably a a few days later than that in, in really bad shape hi this is chad nicefield and this is justin press we're the host of making waves the ship rock podcast a part of the sound talent media podcast network we're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment every week we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist we'll have lots of special guests along the way so tune in every week your stateroom is available every monday morning so welcome aboard